Well, I am Justin Wolfenberg. My family has been attending here for about a year, and today we're going to be talking about a family team on mission. And sort of to kind of get this started right, I thought we'd be a team. So I brought my son, Henry, who is 13 years old up. He's going to give me a hand and kick us off with a prayer. God, I pray that um, you would come into the hearts of these people here, and I pray that um, this this training would be helpful for them, and I pray especially that they would come, God, you'd come down in their hearts. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Henry. Awesome. Well, I, I want you guys to get to know me just a little bit here before we talk about the family team, but I grew up north of Detroit in Troy, Michigan. Um, I was the oldest of three brothers. We were sort of this German Lutheran family. Um, there was my bringing back the family team. There we are with my dad and my mom. And so I was, I really was kind of this quiet, shy kid, sort of felt kind of who I was and sort of got engaged in a swim team. And that is sort of where a lot of my identity and father figures ended up being for good and for bad. But really one of the pivotal things that happened is when I was 17, uh, my mom died of cancer. Uh, my brothers and dad and I were around her bedside. It was really, really tough for me. What was even more tough for me was the fact that we didn't grieve it. We never, we just came from this family, like you pick up your bootstraps and you move on. And for me, moving on meant I went to college right afterwards. Um, and joined the swim team there and made some really good friends. Uh, but, but the challenge was, is inside I was just hurting with pain and had no idea how to deal with it. So I just thought Animal, Animal House was more of a documentary than a movie. And so there's me on the left uh, there. I sort of lived that lifestyle of when I wasn't swimming, I was just getting way drunk. And a lot of bad things were happening in this. But by God's grace, and I'll never know why, other than his grace, he was pursuing me and put this inkling in my heart to seek after God. And so I would literally get up, hungover, and done a whole bunch of terrible things the night before, and go to church. And that continued when I came to Cincinnati. I got a job teaching math and coaching. And I had all these intellectual questions my mind was just wrestling with and racing with. I couldn't make peace with them. I was searching and asking tons of questions. Uh, and ultimately, I found a small group of people who some of the people are still my friends today, where I was able to get in a group of people and talk about my drinking problem out loud for the first time. And I felt the grace of God come through them and the truth of God that came through them. And that spearheaded in 2002 when I got married and baptized and gave up drinking. I stopped drinking for 10 years and now I can drink in moderation without any problems and I'm really thankful for that. But that year 2002 was a big deal for me. Um, but I don't know how it is for you guys, but when I got saved, it solved a major problem called salvation. But I had a whole other slew of problems, which was... I had no idea how to be a husband or a father. And I was really blessed by God to have a mentor who came into my life and taught me a bunch of things. But when I look back on my journey of, yeah, there I am drinking a big old mess, I was. When I look back on my journey, and I think like, why did I even get married? Why did I even decide to have kids? You know, I had a really deep spiritual answer. And that was... Well, I'm a Christian now and I want to have sex. All my friends are getting married and I really like my wife. She's really cool. You know, I mean, this was profound, right? right? <laughs> That's it. I had no concept of why I actually wanted to get married. 
But by God's grace, through a lot of crazy circumstances, our first son, Henry, who was up here, was our one biological child. He was literally a miracle. The doctor said, you are not supposed to have children. We didn't even know how he came from, how he got here. We were very thankful for that. But then God proceeded to do five other miracles in our family. We adopted Layla, our oldest, from China. And she was born with a cleft lip and a cleft palate. And that story is crazy amazing. We adopted Anaya from the foster care system as well. And we still have a relationship with her birth family today. Another amazing story I don't have time for today. Adria, we adopted from uh, someone when I was doing youth ministry for and watched God heal her life from drug addiction as a baby. Um, And these young two boys, Thomas and John Daniel, are our two newest permanent additions. But that is our family team. And so I have no idea how to do family. No idea. Um, And so I had to go for answers. And so my kind of question was, where do I go for answers? Oh, before I even go down that road, I just need to declare or let let you know why I'm so qualified to be up here as a parent. Um, It... I often think it's the grace of God of why my kids are alive. But I remember uh, about a year ago, I was we're going to the bank. I had the dog and I had Thomas in the stroller walking to the bank. And I put the dog's leash under a rock, you know, kind of turned my back to the stroller. And then I hear all these horns honking and craziness behind me. And I'm like, what? What is it? People just need to chill out, man. It's a nice day out. Why aren't we in a calm mode? Well, I turn around and notice that Thomas had rolled into the streets. And I was like, whoa, I'm just an amazing parent. You know, I'm like, goodness gracious. And I really believe that my kids are alive by the grace of God, not by anything that I have done as a parent. Um, but those are very humbling moments as a parent when those things happen. But where now do I go for, do I, there are tons of blogs, aren't there? about parenting and a bunch of people my age, frankly, we don't know anything. I've got a 13-year-old. Everyone's writing about how they know everything. Or there's a bunch of parenting books written by psychologists. Should I follow that? But there's also another book that's pretty good, another story that has incredible wisdom in it that I think we neglect when it comes to how to do family. And it's this book called the Bible. And there's actual crazy foundational wisdom In the story of Genesis, we kind of think it's a good Sunday school story or a scientific debate story, but there's rooted principles in family in there. So if you're following that creation story, right, God creates the animals, the lights, he does, I mean, it's just epically amazing for six, you know, for five days. And on the sixth day, he creates Adam and Eve. He's created this paradise. I mean, we can't even picture, we don't even know what it looks like. It was so incredible. And what is the first thing that God says to them? You know, like, go, go and play and enjoy. I built this Disney World thing for you. Is that what he said? Or, oh, no, no, just chill, relax. Let's sit down and have a cup of tea. Let's get to know each other. I want to build a relationship with you, right? What did God say to Adam and Eve when he created them? Let's find out. It's written down. The first thing he said. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God said, get to work. You have a job to do. We're not going to sit around and play. We're going to work together. You get this? This This blew my mind that God created something where he needed our help to finish. That's a profound thought. He could have made it where he didn't need us. He created a garden where he needed his children to work alongside him 
Imagine if he said, what's the best day, God, you ever made? The first day would be a good glimpse of that. Come work alongside me. Pure, powerful. And so I realized I had a problem when I confronted that narrative. I was believing what the American, America was telling me. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. You get the same story. And that is, hey, we are a collection of individuals pursuing our own individual goals and dreams. That's, that's what we are. You're an individual. Whatever you desire, if you set your heart to, is all about you. Go after that. And here are the vehicles we use to help with that. We believe that if we just educate our children beautifully, amazingly, wonderfully, if we give them the best experiences that are out there, and oh, you better entertain your children. Right? If you do that, doesn't matter if you're Christian or not, that's the pathway to God, to happiness, whatever you want. These, and I will go as far to say that these are our cultural idols today. Not that these are bad in and of themselves, but they are idols where we're putting our hope that if we kids have these things, they'll be all right. I think that's a lie. I think we're destroying our children by doing this. So what if I chose not to have a collection of individuals pursuing individual goals and dreams, and I said, what if I was going to have a family team on mission? We're going to be together, work together in the way that God has called us in the small things and the big things. And what if I had a different set of values of faith, character, and work were way more important than education, experiences, and entertainment? What would happen if I change that narrative. And I had to start somewhere. You can't just pick these things up and change everything at once, right? So I picked one thing. So what I was doing, I was really trying to be a good husband. So I was, and I was working away from out of the home at this point. So I'd get up in the morning and I would make breakfast for each kid as they individually came down asking them what they want and, you know, letting, I was being, letting my wife get a slow start to the day because she had the kids all day long. You know, I'm trying to love my wife, love my kids. And I realized I was getting in the car and I was like, I don't like anybody. I don't like my kids. I mean, I'm trying, I know I'm dying to myself. I know I'm supposed to serve something, but something was wrong with this system. So I came up, God was gracious and revealed something else. And he said, What if you made, this is us six years ago, made breakfast together as a team, cleaned up as a team? What would be different about that? And uh, it was amazing. But I'll be real clear. We have eight thoroughbred thoroughbred sinners in our home. So do you think this is easier or harder? (laughs) Absolutely harder. Who's poking me, bumping me? The character it evokes. Okay, I have to believe that training my children in their character is way more important. I get it. I'd love to, you know, put everyone in an iPad and put them in the corner and peacefully get this done so they can, you know, I I want to do all the work. I want peace in my home. This is a way harder deal. And this is how we started. And it was amazing. I would go to work and I'd be like, wow, that was hard, but that was good. (laughs) Something different was happening inside of me. I was waking up as a father. I was meant to lead this team and coach this team. And that still continues today. This is uh, something we've made as part of our family rhythm. There's Adria. We've got 18 or so chickens in our backyard. She goes and collects the eggs. And then Anaya scrambles up some amazingly tasty eggs for us every morning. She, I mean, just, just the way I like them. They're amazing. All right. And there's Thomas, our three-year-old, setting the table. And I've been working with him for about oh, two months now to actually do this in under 45 minutes. It takes a tremendous amount of work. 
to get this done. You know, this is, is such hard work. This was a recent snowstorm. I'm just going to give you some pictures of this, you know. One option is I go shovel the driveway and resent my family while everyone else is sledding and having fun. Or one option is we all work together, shovel them real quickly because we have so many hands on deck, all right? And then we go sledding. And I built snowmans with Thomas and John Daniel, and that was fun, you know. So we think about solving these problems differently. I don't feel this pressure anymore to constantly be entertaining my children in a fear that they'll have all these bad experiences, you know. Um, and there, there we are cooking together, working together around in our kitchen. The simplicity of life can be very valuable. I think one of the most dangerous lies we tell our children, we sit them down and say, you can be anything you want to be. What are your dreams? What are your passions? This is, life is entirely about you as an individual. We hear that message a lot. And it doesn't mean that our dreams and passions are all bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying those are bad. I'm just saying not primary. What happens, those of us who have been married? How much of my dreams and passions continue to exist? (laughs) Oh my gosh, when you have kids, what happens next? (laughs) Come on, young moms. Are you living your dreams and passions every day? Or is every day about dying to yourself? You got it. We have set our children up to fall off this cliff of narcissism. Life, God has designed life to not be this selfish pursuit of my own passions and dreams. It is so dangerous. What if we could be content with the simple things of making a meal and shoveling a driveway? And then if God blesses us to use passions and dreams and ministries, yes, please do. But stay in the foundation of something very simple here. It can be very different in how this self plays itself out as a family. I think we can set our children up for a way better success in life versus crazy dying that happens when we start to get married and have kids. And I think about this kind of stuff like, why did God, this is another profound biblical crazy thing, why did God choose Abraham? Why did God choose Abraham? You know, he has this epic problem. He starts this thing. Adam and Eve get kicked out. And then there's a bunch of problems. He's got to start all over with Noah. He waits a couple generations and then picks Abraham. Why in the world did he pick Abraham to start his mission? There was lots and lots of people on the earth. Did he choose a pastor? Did he choose a church? Did he choose a prophet? Crazy enough, God told us while... I'm going to skip these two pictures. God told us why he chose Abraham. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Don't ever underestimate. God had a terrible problem with efficiency. He had this epic problem. You know what he did? He's like, hmm. I'm going to work with one father only. I'll ignore all of every, everything else. <laughs> and then the next generation, he works with one father. And then the next generation, he works with one father, Jacob. You understand what God's ways are? Are we picking something up here? God, if you build a strong family, there is something that could change the world from that. One father awakens with a heart to engage in his family. It could change everything. And this is one of God's ways, is to wake up the fathers, to change the world. Go back to these. One of the other things we do in our family is we have gone backwards on technology and things. 
I don't adopt every technology. So we heat our house primarily by wood. And so that wood has to get to the wood-burning stove. And every one of our kids has to touch that wood. And they have to fill that woodshed. And they have to work very hard. Right? So when the heat is on, is it because dad went and had a paycheck and brought it home and paid Duke? No. It's because every single one of my kids contributed. I've created a system where I need my kids to make sure that house is warm. And it's a really neat thing. We really enjoy it. And God continued to turn my heart on this kind of deal. And he asked me this question. He said, what would happen if a father came home? What would happen? And so this was a leading of the spirits, not for everybody. But God asked me to cash out every retirement account I had to start a business remodeling homes. And I had no skill in it <laughs> and no experience in it. Okay, this is not wisdom here. This was a spirit-led thing. But God provided for me because it was for him. And I looked at my family and I sat them down and I was like, guys, we're on the pioneering trail. You know, imagine if you're on the pioneering trail, there's, you're out there. You need everybody. There's no safety net here. If we go down, there might be the soup kitchen in front of us. I'm going to need every one of you to make this business work. And so we started working in the family business. And I remember one of the first properties we had to remodel. We didn't know what we were doing. I had, I think Henry was eight years old. And we were hanging this piece of drywall on the ceiling. And poor Henry was like a big, heavy piece of drywall. His face is smashed against the ladder. And he's like, I can't do it. I'm like, you've got, I need you to do it. You've got to do it. He's like, ah. he's like, boom. Then we drill it in, you know, and it's like, Boom, and it was like, oh, what a moment that was. I'll never forget that moment. It was so amazing. I, need, I couldn't have gotten that piece of drywall up on my own. And, and, and God really impressed this on my heart, uh, using my son. Every night we would be walking home from work, and he'd ask me the same question, starting on Monday, and he would say, Dad, did I make a difference today? And I would be like, oh, man, yeah, yes, you did, no question. He asked me to have five straights, and then we were sitting around our table for our family meal on Friday night, and, he, and I just started getting teary-eyed, going, wow, you're a blessing. And so they have been integral over the last seven, eight years in building our business. There's Henry and I tiling together. There we are building our chicken coop together. These are some older pictures. <clears throat> there he is sanding a floor, helping me. I'm working the edger. He's working the main thing. There he is drywalling. All right. We start them young in our family. There's Thomas tightening some gas pipe for me. <laughs> That's more for fun than it is for really being helpful. But he's getting there, right? And it's just fun how fast we can do things together as a big family. It's amazing how quickly things go. And, and it can be fun and hard and wonderful all at the same time um, as this works together here. Uh, and... This was a neat story. I had a, I had a bunch of things I needed to be doing somewhere else, and we were supposed to be installing a ceiling fan at one of my rental properties. So I just dropped Henry and Layla off, and I said, I'll be back in a couple hours to get you, get that ceiling fan in. And they did it, you know. And it's just, they've really become a blessing to our family. They're actually a blessing. And this is the question we need to be asking yourself. Are our children a blessing, or are they a liability just sucking resources from us. What's easier to love, a liability or a blessing? Really, let's be real honest. If something's always taking from you, you're going to somewhat resent. What does the Bible say children should be? Blessings. (laughs) Let's train them in the way they should go to be a blessing without reservation, without fear that we don't have to listen to what culture is telling us. 
It is not going in the right direction. If we follow that, I promise you, one of the motivations I had to change was the fact that I I did youth ministry for years and I watched family after family of godly parents, godly good parents, families blow up. And I was like, it's not because they don't love the Lord. And I believe that about this congregation. It's not that you don't love the Lord. It's not that you don't love your children. There's a loss of wisdom in how to do family. We're following culture. We're not following God's word. God's story is telling us and giving us glimpses of what this can be. And uh, we started early at this one point. We were doing foster care. We had three two-year-olds. And I have a problem, a somewhat of a problem with ambition at times. And I, my wife was going to be out of town with the two older girls. And I said, I'm going to potty train three two-year-olds this weekend. I can do it. So we tipped up the couches, rolled up the carpets. I, I can do this, right? And I, Henry was with me. And I said, Henry, this is going to be the worst day of your life. And uh, so I took him to Kroger. And I said, buy whatever you want, because you're going to hate today. And he did. And uh, we spent all day, him upstairs, or him downstairs, me upstairs, putting kids on. It looked like a third world refugee camp with the messes all over. I mean, it was, it was an awful day. And I remember it was like eight something that night. And Adria there. She was a, she has a passion and stubbornness to her that we're praying will be used for the Lord. But she was like, I am not going to go poop on that potty. And I'm, I'm having a battle of wills with a two-year-old, right? Which is, you know how this is going to end. And uh, I was like, you will go potty. You will go potty. And I picked her up off the toilet and she pukes all over me, (laughs) poops all down my side. (laughs) And I said, tap out. You win. You win. You're going to bed. Here's your diaper. I'm out. I'm going to lose my mind, you know. So we've had lots of crazy stories like that of, of things that have God has done this. But we really, I love my children. They are such a blessing to our family. And then the inevitable question comes up. What about my parents or my kids' grandparents? What do we do? All right. I mean, there's something that's really scary in our culture that says, hey, your job is done. Get them to their 18. Wash your hands. Get in your RV and go live your life. You've done your job. That's a terrible story. Another cultural story. I'm telling you, uh, when I was late 20s, I thought I knew a lot about parenting. At 44, there's been so many humbling lessons. And I'm telling you right now, I need my parents as much now as I did when I was a young whippersnapper running around. And so we were like, how do we do this? We just get together with our family and we entertain each other. And it's fun and it's fine. We have incredible, Shelly and I both have wonderful parents. But we did it, right? Oh, it says this. It says, gray hair is a crown of splendor. It's attained in the way of righteousness. Guys, gray hair is not something to be ashamed of. Gray hair, yes. Gray hair is something to be proud of. You have a crown. And we need it. In our culture, we say, oh, no, it's bad. We are ashamed of it. We die it. No, 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 no. In the Bible, it's a gift. It's a sign of wisdom. We need, I need, I'll speak for myself. <laughs> I need that wisdom in my life. So Shelly, in her creativity, uh, <clears throat> wrote a letter to her parents and said, hey, there's this mission trip happening at our house, and there's a bunch of orphans. Do you want to come? And so we sort of like changed the narrative. Will you come and work with us? alongside us. And there's Shelly's dad teaching Henry how to build a table. And it's something changed dramatically in our family when we worked together. We still did the entertainment and the fun and all. Yeah, yes, yes. All that is a wonderful part of being a family. But we changed. We actually worked alongside our, our parents and the kids' grandparents. 
And then recently, Shelly did a mom-daughter retreat and invited her mom to come. She did all the work, set it up, and so that her mom could come and just invest in her grandchildren and pass the wisdom and stuff that she has on to them. And there they are with tea time, a favorite of her mom's. There they are teaching sewing, all right, just passing stuff on down through the generations. And of course, it's, is it about sewing or is it about so much more that's happening, right? So much more. We think if we just give our kids the right clever video about God, they're going to get it wrong. It's not true. They need it from hands and feet of people. And there's no one more qualified unless they're like abusive, that kind of scenario. No one more qualified than the grandparents to give that to their grandchildren. So there she is with her finished product. She made a pillow for John Daniel. I think that's John Daniel's pillow. There's my dad building a wall with Henry. And then this was a, a neat story. My dad called me years ago and he said, all right, it's Christmas time. What do the kids want for Christmas? And I was like, oh no, I've got six kids. You, all the grandparents, we've adopted grandparents. We have all, if, they, if everyone buys four or five presents, I'm going to have to build an addition on my house to hold this. And then I'm going to really hate being in my home. I said, dad, if you want to buy one present, that's fine. But what I'd rather have is you. So that year they just did a one present and it was great. The next year he called me, he said, we had started this conversation. He said, what if I take them to rocket camp? And I was like, okay, this is way better than presents. You know, have you ever noticed that when kids open presents, 90 seconds later, they forgot who's given to them. I've tested my kids. They never know who gave them that present. Um, And so I said, yes, if you come and drive him to rocket camp every day, I'll do it. And so he came and he drove and what I wanted to happen happened. They went out to lunch, they had ice cream. They had this cool experience together. And then the next year, He called and he goes, I have this idea. He goes, what if I built a go-kart with Henry? And I said, that's it. (laughs) That's it. And that summer on his trips in, they built the go-kart together. And I would stand in the window and watch and I'd have a tear running down my cheek because I was like, man, this is so good. This is sweet. My stepmom at this point said, man, I've never seen your dad so alive. Something awaking in him. Like he was passing something on. He has a love for cars. He built, you know, you know, a business. He, it was unbelievable time. And so there they are just, you know, enjoying that go-kart. And frankly, we live in the city. So a go-kart is incredibly impractical. And I knew it really was going to be difficult, you know, once Henry came home with a police escort, lights flashing behind him. And so I did. But I don't care because it was time with his grandfather that he will never forget. You know, it was so amazingly wonderful. And I, I feel, I'll tell you as a 44-year-old, I feel more love from my parents when they invest in my grandchildren than anything else. It is an amazing gift. So for the gray hairs in here, I'm telling you guys, we need you. <laughs> we we need you. This is so difficult to be a parent. So we work together, play together, rest together, and we take on the darkness together. God has put it in our heart to do foster care, and we've done a lot. We've, I don't have time to tell you all the amazing things God has done through this. But the last two that we have, Thomas and John Daniel, are brothers. They were both born in the same scenario, same mom and dad. They were both born, for Thomas, his mom did heroin every other day for eight months while she was pregnant with him, okay? And John Daniel was about six or seven months before they got her back into rehab. They were born addicted to the withdrawal drug. And you know what? If you've ever been to, which that's a really tough place to go, to the NICU down at Good Sam, it looks like you're a NASA, you wear a suit. You go in there and there's $100,000 machines hovering around these children. But you know what's really bizarre? You know what they want to do with these drug-addicted babies? 
get them out of there as fast as they can. And they have the best technology ever. You know why? You know what's the best thing for a drug-addicted baby? To hold them. The hands and feet of Jesus. So we've taken multiple kids through, and they're always like, well, they're probably going to have to go on this withdrawal drug. And we say, no, 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 no. We're going to be the hands, and we're going to hold these babies 24 hours a day. And that's what we do. And do you think my wife and I can do that on our own? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Everyone goes on the clock. We are on mission, and we are at war. And we're holding those babies, and it is so hard. Love is never free, guys. Never, ever free. It's costed our family tremendously over the last two years to absorb this, just like it costed Jesus tremendously to love us. And we, these babies come, they're gaunt, they look terrible. Everyone's like, what's wrong with that kid? You know, you don't say, oh, that's a beautiful baby. They're tremoring, shaking. They had, both of them had bloody diarrhea uncontrollably. Every time you took off their diaper, you're like, oh God, what a mess. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't even contain it. You know, um, we live in a community of friends that were like, kind of believe what Jesus said and said, you can do greater things than me. And we laid hands on these babies and prayed for them. And watched them flourish in a family. And the social workers and the foster care system, because there's no families anymore, they're all dispersed doing everything, don't, don't know how to engage with us. And I remember sitting in a meeting, they really believe that children should be going to therapy to therapy appointment in the back of a minivan. And I don't always see eye to eye with social workers. And so we were sitting at this big meeting with John Daniel, and I just said, guys, I go, we don't need any therapies. I go, if the doctor says we need it, I'll do it. Okay, just so you know, they're always worried. I'm just trying to be lazy. I promise you I'm not being lazy. It's not helping them. We have this therapy called a family going on 24-7 with the kids. The interaction, the stimulus, the thing that's going on in our home is way better than any therapy going on. And so we had these boys. They had started adjusting. They started thriving. And I remember we took John Daniel to his... 18-month uh, checkup at the high-risk clinic. So this is where they deal with these drug-addicted babies, which is crazy common. And they tested him for a couple hours, and they were astounded. They said, huh, he's above age in every category. They said, don't bring him back. I said, amen. And not an ounce of therapy happened in his life. It is the amazing power, and I, I have such a passion for this. If we could get just one father, it was my prayer, if one father wakes up here and says, I, I want to do whatever it takes to lead my family, whatever it takes. There are the untold blessings that may happen from this. The family team, you guys, is the by far the most powerful team that God has ever created, and our culture is destroying it left and right. We need our families to come back together, be together, work together, play together, rest together, pray together, serve. Together is that word, okay? Together, together, together. And, uh, all right, Layla, come on up. I'm going to have my daughter close us in prayer. Go for it. Lord, I pray for, um, all these people, and um, we can build stronger families, and we go back in time. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Leila. Amen. All right. So, I have such a heart for this, uh, and I know one of the things we believe, we believe knowledge will change you. Knowledge will not change you. Knowledge is helpful. You've heard knowledge here, but if you really want to change... 
you have to immerse yourself in another story. Every time Shelly and I change, it takes a long time for us to change one small thing. And so my wife and I are going to be doing a, a training on March 16th. I'm, if you're interested in this, it'll largely be dynamic for young kids, but feel free to bring your parents with you. Right? If you're a young family, this is more who it's designed for, not necessarily teenage families, but you're welcome to bring your parents with you. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of all the changes we've made, how we've made them, the roadblocks we've done. It's going to be a workshop. You're going to have time to work on some of these things and solve them. Some of the challenges of being a young family is you never have enough time to talk. And another thing that my wife and I are going to do is we're going to lead a story form life group. It's a big, epic Bible study of the whole story and how God's family has Work throughout the whole story. And so we'll look at the big story of God, pray that you'll be unified with your wife, uh, and learn more about family there.